Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Patnode, W3MVP. Thanks for joining us for So Now What? a podcast for people who are relatively new to amateur radio and who are excited and curious to discover all that it has to offer. Here with me is Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, and VEC Assistant Manager Amanda Grimaldi, N1NHL. Hey, Amanda! Hi, guys. How you doing? We're doing pretty good. Thank you for being on the show with us. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Amanda's here with us today to answer questions about ARRL's VEC program, and Joe's going to ask the first question. The first question is going to be, What is the VEC? The VEC, which stands for Volunteer Examiner Coordinators, is an organization that's entered into an agreement with the FCC to coordinate the efforts of VEs, volunteer examiners, in preparing examinations. Um, Essentially, we're liaisons to the FCC. So when the volunteer examiners administer the exams, we get the paperwork, submit it back to the FCC to get the upgrade or the license. Um, We also do more than that. We do club licensing. We do international amateur radio permits. We do special event call signs, uh, license certificates, and we supply all the materials to the VEs in order to administer the exams. Now, I have to admit, that does sound a little modest, but (laughs) having worked up in VEC uh, a few moons ago, it's a very busy department. There is a lot that you and your fellow coworkers do up there in the RLVEC. Yeah, it is busy. It's, it's, con- it's a constant workflow, which is good, you know, job mm-hmm. security. Um, and our VEs, you know, they've always, they always have the right questions asked, so they keep us busy. And we like the questions because if they ask before they do it, they get it right, right? Yes, because this is one thing that has to get done correctly. If not, there is somebody you need to answer to, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> FCC. FCC. So in 1982, the Goldwater Worth bill was passed by Congress and ultimately signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. And that law amended the Communications Act of 1934, permitting FCC to accept voluntary services of licensed amateur radio operators. On July 21, 1984, the FCC and the ARL signed a memo of agreement, a memorandum of agreement, to put this program into play. If I recall, when the VEC program was first instituted and actually, quote-unquote, advertised in QST, there was a picture of the ARL VEC map, and there was a staffer standing in front of it, and that picture was taken upstairs. That was in QST. Well, it was in 1984, I imagine. Was that a July, October QST? Some of our listeners or our longtime members may remember that. Well, the first examination was held on September 2nd, 1984. September 2nd? Mm -hmm. Was that done purposely? Because it's Hiram's birthday? No way. Oh. I didn't know that. Oh. See that? That was cool. Okay, so 
for the sake of argument, we will say that the first one was on September 2nd in honor of Hiram Percy Maxim's birthday. Perfect. Yeah, there is one of the covers of QST shows, hmm. I forget who it was, but they're standing in front of the map. And I believe it shows the original, right after the program was instituted, the VE test sessions administered by the Aero VEC. Okay. You will see her. She's looking up at the map. She's like on her left side. Boop. I did that. So, Amanda, what's the difference between a VEC and a VE? Uh, the VE, VEC, I'm sorry. There's 14 of us actually out there. And the FCC will not allow any, any other organization to become a VEC. They think that 14 is sufficient. So we coordinate the exams. We coordinate the VEs. Again, we supply them with information and supplies. And then we do the... We transmit the information to the FCC. The VEs, which are extremely important to our program, are actually the ones out there in the field administering the exams. And they're also a trove of information for new applicants and people upgrading. So there's a difference. So for instance, there's, again, 14 VECs and there's 30,000 VEs for accredited with the ARL anyways. That doesn't include the 13 other VECs. That's a lot. It is. It is. We're popular. What can we say? <laughs> yeah, we have about 74% of the market share. And awesome. the 13 other VECs have the 26%. Wow. Others 26%. What are the minimum requirements to become a VE, and how long do the VE credentials last? Yeah, the ARL VEC, through its VE program, administers 74% of all U.S. amateur radio license exams here and overseas, actually. The uh, other 26% fall under the other 13 VECs. You need to be a general class licensee or higher and be at least 18 years old. Uh, a VE cannot be a person whose amateur license has ever been revoked or suspended, and that's per the FCC. That's an FCC rule. And how long do the VE credentials last? They last the same amount of time as your actual amateur radio license, so it will expire I mean, if you if your license expires in a year and you just get accredited today, your accreditation is going to also expire in a year. But you don't have to do much to get it to get it renewed. You don't have to do much. Normally, we send we automatically send people stickers if they're active in testing. But even if for some reason you don't get the stickers, just give us a call and we'll get you renewed. Send you stickers to put on your badge with the new expiration date. Now that does pose an interesting question. What if an individual becomes a VE but never tests? They just did it because they want to say, I'm a VE. Is that is there some minimum number of tests an a VE has to administer? We like them to do at least one a year. Um, if you don't participate in five years, we'll put you on an inactive status, which doesn't mean your accreditation is revoked or expired or canceled and whatnot. It just means that you're inactive. And if you want to get back into it, give us a call. Um, if it's five years or more, we have you do another VE app. If it's 10 years or more, we have you do the open book review and the VE application again. So Amanda, how is an ARRL VEC test session conducted? Well, the first step, the, the VEs will register most of the VEs will register their exam sessions with us so we put it up on the website to advertise the date and the time um, location and any requirements that the VEs may have for the um, candidates 
that registration will also include whether or not the examiners need exam materials. Some VEs that are not field stocked will request exams every time they register, I'm sorry, request exam materials every time they register an exam date. Um, once we get it online, the candidates will contact the VEs just to get more information regarding the test, the examination. Um, once they arrive, they fill out certain paperwork that, again, we provide to the VEs. And from there, they take the exam. Once they're done with the exam, the VEs, three VEs, it, it's an FCC rule that three VEs grade the exam. And if they pass, they have the option to go up to the next level if they want. Free of charge. You can take each exam one time for the $15 fee. So, Amanda, you mentioned field stocked as opposed to just sending out the materials. Is there a distinction between the two? Yes. Field, field stocked examiners were will be marked off in our system as being field stocked. So when we get new exams in every four years, they automatically get the, or any, any new material, they automatically get the updated material. So they, we send them a big box of supplies that lasts for about a year, and they hold on to it. So they can do on-demand testing and prop do exams whenever they want. If you're not field stocked, we'll send you materials every time you have an exam, and you send all the unused materials back to us. And now a word from our sponsor. Check out LDG's new Balans and Ununs. The RU9 to 1 Unun matches in-fed long wire antennas to coax, and the RU1 to 1 choke helps keep RF out of your shack. All LDG Balans and Ununs are rated to 200 watts PEP and cover from 1 to 30 megahertz for all your HF matching needs. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing advanced quality products to the amateur market. Our focus is on anticipating our customers' needs and providing them with world-class support. Don't forget, LDG products carry a two-year warranty that is fully transferable when you sell it. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. LDG Electronics. Everywhere you look, there's an LDG. Welcome back to So Now What? So I gather field stock, these are for like the the large VE teams. I mean, these large clubs that have them every month, yeah. essentially. Yep, that's exactly it. And in order to be field stock and stay field stock, you have to, oh, I'm sorry, to become field stock, you have to have four exams scheduled. Is that per month? No, just within the year. Oh, Okay. And you have to have participated in four exams previously. There's no minimum number of tests. So in other words, a field stocked VE team can have one impromptu individual come in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you mean the amount of people that they serve? I exactly, yes. So No, no, because they have really no control over that. So as long as they hold the session... They, you know, they get credit for holding a session, even if it's one person or if it's 10 people. Now, are they still required to advertise a session regardless? No, the FCC no longer requires them to advertise their exam. Okay, so if someone, let's, here's a hypothetical. Someone's been studying, they contacted us and they'd say, you know, I've, I've been self-studying as opposed to, say, being part of a club. They self-studied and they say, I really want to take an exam um, 
so they contact us. We say, okay, well, based upon your location, there is a, a VE team located near you. Mm -hmm. Now, that individual can contact that team and say, I'm ready to take an exam. Can you please administer it? Yeah, yep, they can. A lot of times, there's a lot of sessions listed online within the, your location. Um, don't get me wrong, sometimes there's, you live out in the middle of nowhere, there's nothing. And that's usually when they would call a team and be like, hey, there's nothing listed for my area, can you help me get this done? But um, for the impromptu sessions, it's, you could walk into a coffee shop, notice that there's an amateur radio club sitting there having a meeting, walk up to them and say, hey, I, I wanna take my tech exam, you got the stuff? As long as they have the stuff, they can give you the exam. Okay, that makes life easy. Yeah, it does. Because <laughs> I remember, again, some moons ago, that uh, <laughs> the requirements were a little more strict in terms of scheduling, uh, advertising, when the VE test session was to be. Um, and there was there a minimum? Was there ever a minimum number of sessions required? Or uh, I should excuse me, number of tests that had to be administered because. I don't believe there was a requirement for that, but I, there was a requirement to have it publicly advertised. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, on that note, we're going to go into the, the part that everyone loves, and that is the test itself. <laughs> <laughs> again, uh, the test, the test. So, mm -hmm. the first and foremost is, because we, we get this question, right, who comes up with these questions? Because some of these questions are weird. And I have to make mention and some of our listeners who have been licensed for a while can probably relate to this that at a time when we had to sit in front of the FCC and take the exam which was compiled by the FCC this is like before the the VE program existed uh, some questions were double negatives I dare say that there were some triple negatives <laughs> what can you not do if you're not doing this not properly you know that sort of thing <laughs> this, honestly people this was these were how some of these questions were were asked mm -hmm. and you sit the scratching heads like okay well does that mean I could not do it if I did do it not like this way. anyway <laughs> spend more time trying to figure the question, <laughs> the question out. out it's like <laughs> it just asked how to build a dipole right um, so who actually decides or creates these questions for the VE teams to use? It's um, the QPC, the Question Pool Committee, which is which comes under the NCVEC, the National Conference of Volunteer Examiner Coordinators, which every VEC is a part of. However, the Question Pool Committee has five members that represent five different VECs. Um, there's ARL, W5YI, Anchorage, ARC, VEC, Westcars, and GLARG. And they take all year to come up they put a lot of work into these question pools and so the question pools it's one regardless of the VEC the question pool is the question pool so in other words if you're going to say do a 5yi or an ARL VE test session you can expect that especially if you've been studying our study our, our study guide that the questions will be the same regardless of what VEC that you're using. Correct. They All the VECs use that one question pool. The exams you get, so you can go to a W5OI session and not necessarily get the same exam as you get at ARL. They, the VECs have the right to make their own exams out of that one question pool. And actually, the examiners themselves, the VEs, can make their own exams if they wanted to. 
they have to do it in the right format that is set by the FCC, but they, they can do it. It's, I mean, I wouldn't advise it because, again, the questionable committee puts so much work into coming up with these questions and then creating, They again, they each make their own exams, but th mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that goes into that as well. So take advantage of it. And some of the requirements would be, say, the, the number of questions. In other words, a VE team or even a VEC necessarily cannot say, well, you know what, we're going to give everybody a break this month and we're only going to ask you 10 questions <laughs> on the extra. <laughs> no, no. They each have to have the same amount of questions and they have to have the same amount of questions from each sub-element. And that's the structure I was talking about that the FCC came up with. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember off the top of my head how many have to come from each sub-element because it does vary between mm -hmm. each sub-element within the pool, but it is a specific amount. And the sub-elements, it's that technical, non-technical rules and regulations. Exactly. All that stuff that you can expect to see on a test session. Right. So a little history here. Uh, yes, I've been licensed for a few years. And prior to the creation of the VE program, and I mean just in general, before the creation of the VE program, and some of our listeners may relate to this, if you wanted to take an amateur radio license exam, Aside from the novice, because normally if you took the novice, which is the first class of license, you were probably a member of a club, and you can have someone in your club administer the novice class license exam to you. But if you wanted to go for tech, general, advanced, or extra, you had to either drive up to an FCC office uh, near you, or you can wait if they came down to your area. Now here in Connecticut, four times out of the year, the FCC would come down to what was the old Naval Reserve here in Hartford, Connecticut, not too far from Brainerd Road, which, by the way, is not too far from Maxim Road, which is named after our founder and first president, Harm Percy Maxim, in part because the original W1AW radio station, which was W1MK, was located there. So there's actually a lot of history in Hartford. But anyway, I digress. So... <laughs> I'm sure if you were down in D.C., it was probably interim D.C. or something like that. But uh, In their faces. It's like, oh, there's always next time. Yeah. It's like with field day. There's always next year. There's always next time. Yep. There, and you can take the exam. You can take the exam until you're blue in the face at one VE session. And I know a lot of um, the VEs promote that. Not only if they fail, but if they pass. I think I mentioned this earlier. If you pass, you can take the next level for free. Now, if you do, that poses an interesting question. And then I'm going to turn it back over to Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> if you do fail, say you go in there for a general, mm -hmm. and you, you miss it by two questions, they're going to admit, if you want, they can administer another exam, but it would not be the same test session. I mean, it wouldn't be the same test itself. It would be a, it would be the general, but it would be a different version. version. Correct. Okay. Yeah, there's five versions. So, and if the field stocked examiners have all five on hand. The non-field stocked examiners may not necessarily have the, um, they may have two versions of it. So, I mean, I said you could take it till you're blue in the face, but you would have to keep taking a different version. And the examiners have access to our exam maker software, our software that generates exams automatically for them so if they if they could get to the computer and print out more exams yeah you, you could take it as many times as you want <laughs> until you pass it you just yeah. gotta get that too just yeah. get that two questions I know. so another interesting point off of that is 
like you said, if you're going to take a general and you fail, you can take the extra exam and you can pass. If you pass the extra, say you studied harder for the extra because it's a, it's a longer exam, it's a harder material. So you pass the general, I'm sorry, you fail the general, you could take the extra and pass it and get credit for it. And you have that credit for a whole year. So any point in time within that year, 365 days, you can go back, take the general, and you'll get your extra. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. But on that note, um, you've passed the extra, but that does not mean you have extra privileges because Co- you do not have the general. Correct. Correct. You would have to, you just have the credit for it. So you'd have to bring your CSE, and that shows you have the extra credit to the exam where you're going to take your general. And once you pass the general, they'll give you the CSE saying you earned extra, and then you'll get your extra license. Uh, and what does CSCE stand for one more time? I, I, I mentioned it as, you know what? I did not say what it stood for. <laughs> Certificate of Successful Completion of Examination. So to clarify, because that's a little confusing, I feel like I went in circles with the failing the general and passing the extra. You can take the exams in any order that you want. They build on each other. So you have to, like I said, you have to pass the general before you get the extra license, but you can take them in any order. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. So okay. what? I did not know that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, you could take the extra wow. and get that under your belt, <laughs> and then go and study for your general if necessary. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. But again, just realizing you don't have the extra privileges. Right. 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 You have a whole year to pass the general test to get the extra. Yep. Is that right? right? Yep. Okay. And if you were previously licensed as a general advanced or extra class and you have proof of that and you're licensed as a tech you'll get that credit back so generals and advanced class licensees who were previously licensed as general advanced class licensees will get general credit and if you were previously an extra you'll get extra credit as long as you're either currently a technician or you take and pass the technician now that does and some of our newly licensed, mm. they may not realize that there was a time when you, you, there was obviously five classes, mm-hmm. and we had the novice technician, general advanced, and extra. And we had something called novice enhancement that took place in March of 1987. And nowadays, if you can prove to a VEC, or you go to a VE test session, that you were licensed as, say, a technician, mm-hmm prior to March of 1987. March 21st, 1987. March 21st. uh, That's an important day, folks. March 21st, 1987. If you can prove that you had at least the technician and you go into a VE session, you do not have to take the general because at that time, the tech general was the same test. The only difference was the code requirement. Correct. And you can use something as simple as a page from an old call book. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you needed to prove that you were licensed prior to March 21st, 1987, you would just, there are resources available to do that. Uh, Call books, the old call books, if they're at your library, something like that, you can take a photocopy of that and bring it to a session and say, yes, I held a technician class license prior to March 21st, 1987, but you still have to be licensed currently though, correct? You in order to get the automatic upgrade yes but you can come in with that credit take and pass the tech exam and then you'll get your general right 
because I did that for my father. Oh, um, okay. Because we had both gone for our tech general, and the only difference between us was that I took the 13 words a minute. Mm-hmm. So I got my general, and he maintained a technician. But after this program was initiated, I essentially supplied him with proof that he had his technician prior to March 21st, 1987. He went to a local VE session, and they were able to give him his general class. So, Amanda, how can someone get involved in becoming a VE? Well, they can go on our website, and they can either download the volunteer examiner manual for free, or they can buy it in the book form through our publications department for $10. Um, Once they go through the book, they will want to fill out our open book review, which is also on our website, as well as the VE application. And I would really, you know, suggest people do this, especially new operators. It gets them involved in the amateur radio community. You know, they get to know people, and they just get to see how exciting it is. And again, like we were talking about the VEs before being so excited that their people pass, I just think that's something that everyone should experience. If you, you know, you're really into the hobby, you, you will, you'll love it. It's, it's a form of giving back. Correct. Yep. It is. Yes, and I just want to thank all of our VEs out in the field because they really are incredible and they do a lot of work. So, Yes, thank you very much to all the VEs, to all the volunteers out there because, yeah, we, we could not do some of our jobs without yeah, their help. Absolutely. Wow, well, thanks, Amanda, for being on the show. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me, guys. That You're was most fun. welcome. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Thanks for listening to So Now What? And we would like to tell you that this is our last podcast. As many of you probably read that um, the podcast is being canceled and uh, we're taking everything in a new direction. So we'd like to thank everyone who've written, called, who supported us during this time. And we thank you very much for the questions. And we hope that we're able to give you some good information and some good tips and um you know just stay tuned to our new podcast and again if you always have any questions always feel free just to email us call us stop us when we're at conventions and so on and uh you know we'll have a little chat we had a lot of fun making this for you guys and we hope you enjoy our new podcasts we did have fun we we did we really (laughs) did did have a lot of fun so uh it was good But, you know, like what Dory says, we'll just keep Keep swimming. swimming. We'll just keep swimming. 73. 73. So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, email us at sonowwhat at arrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat. This program is copyright of the ARRL, and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the AWRL. Thanks for listening.